that makes a beautiful closing prayer. Thank you all. I can't think of a better prayer request. I want to know you more, and I'm hoping that by the end of our discussion today, you will know how to know him more and know him more intimately. I'd like to say good morning to Christina on Facebook. Uh, she is recovering from surgery, and uh, just to let you know, we have prayed for you today. And to all those who are on Facebook, greetings. Some folks are not able to be here every single week, and they still desire to be connected to us, and I'm grateful for the technology that allows us that to take place. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to the living room. Um, we're having a series of discussions that are related to how do we grow in our intimacy with our Heavenly Father and with Jesus. And so, with that in mind, I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to Matthew 6. Everybody say, Word. It's a strange little empty space right here. Thank you, Bruce. It's a strange little pool in the middle. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to Matthew chapter 6 in, in due time. Before we do, I want you to reconsider these words. Jesus speaking, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You know, we hear these words and we recognize that there is an incredible need in our lives for greater intimacy. There is a, a need for a greater closeness. There is something that is lacking Something that should be experienced in excess. I hope that we know enough about God to realize that he is no miser. And he certainly is no spiritual Scrooge. Speaking of Scrooge, you notice the Christmas ornaments being set. It's beautiful up here, is it not? Our living room just got prettier. I want to thank you for all the volunteers who made this happen. It's beautiful. But he is no spiritual Scrooge. In fact, we are told in the scriptures that, uh, that he is a, a God of abundance, of the how much more. He lavishly pours out on us. Yet why is it that we are sustained on what seems to be spiritual crumbs? Bits and pieces of a sermon. Maybe it is a worship song that resonates with where we're at. Maybe the experiences of our life where we see the fingerprints of God. One of the great blessings that we have here in North Texas are the sunsets. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity, there's times where there's colors and there's a, there's a painting, a canvas across the sky that is painted that, that no artist can replicate, no photographer can do justice, and we stare for just a moment and we go, wow, look what God has painted. We look up in the chaos of our life, it's going on around us, and we just for a moment we stop and we consider and then we go right back into the chaos, the grind, the exhaustion, the pressures. All the things that we assume are the necessary evils of our modern, post-industrial, tech-saturated, 21st century life. Please, family, listen. And I'm going to ask for a little bit, uh, not more. I'm going to ask that you really focus today. Because this message is designed to build and it's designed to be linear. And we're so easily distracted in our life today. This is not going to be quick. But I promise by the end of it, it will come together. I want you to hear this. We were not created for the world we live in now. We live in a world that is habitually hurried blisteringly busy, 
filled with incessant interruptions. In a world in a time that has, has no room for God. It is so loud and it is so busy that we can hear, barely hear Jesus speak if we can hear him speak at all. And if we're going to experience something different in this life, if we have a desire for something more, I guess that's the, that's the issue, if. If you have a desire for something more, we are going to have to approach our day and our life differently. We all know the old adage. Doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome is what? Mm-hmm. We have to get back to what we were made for, and this is what we have been made for. Please hear this. We have been made, we have been created for uninterrupted, unhindered, and unhurried time with God. In Genesis chapter 3, on the the cusp of the fall, the father is seen entering the garden in the coolness of the day. You know what that speaks of? Sweet tea. You know, those days that have gone by where we'd sit on the front porch with a good cup of sweet tea? We don't have time for sweet tea anymore, do we? Unless it's in a to-go cup. It is the basis of a relationship with God, but it's really the basis of all relationships, right? I mean, if you're trying to have a relationship with somebody and it's always interrupted, like, for example, your spouse... Like, every time you and your spouse sit down to talk, somebody hand me your cell phone. Come on, you know, I know you got one. Can I say that real quick? Oh, that's a nice cell phone. It's got one of those little doohickeys on the back. <laughs> Am I making you nervous right now? <laughs> oh, so good. But if, if you're talking to your spouse and your spouse is here and, uh-huh, honey, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh huh. How intimate is that interaction right there? It's pretty interrupted, is it? Or if you're talking to somebody and you have your phone out and every time it turns on, you go, oh, then you pull away, that's an interruption. Here you go. Thank you so much for sharing. That was a great prop. Hmm. We're, we're hindered in our relationship. How intimate is that time with that person? It's not. And there's something that I really am starting to dislike. I, I'm, un, I'm becoming more and more aware of the fact that I, I really don't have as many friends as Facebook tells me I do. It says I have 964 friends. And that's kind of what friendship has turned into, a series of clicks, emojis, and gifs that we just kind of fire off at each other. If we're expecting to have an intimate relationship with one another and with God, it's going to have to be uninterrupted. It's going to have to be unhindered, and it's got to be unhurried. And that means we have to get to a different place than we are right now. And the place that I'm speaking of is desolate. It is quiet. It is away from the chaos. And this place that we have been created for, where we detach from the confusion. Richard Foster, I highly recommend this resource, seminal work, the celebration of the disciplines, Richard Foster, every 10 years they, they re-release re, it. It's just that good. He writes, the detachment from the confusion all around us is in order to have a richer attachment to God. I could add in there to one another also. Did you know that God is directing the orchestra of human history? The sovereign. And we all have an instrument to play. 
And if you get away for some quiet, you can almost hear the movement of the music. You hear it in the, the wind, the songs of the birds, the human heartbeat, just breath itself. But we got to get away to hear it. Jesus was always getting away. Mark chapter 1, uh, no need to turn there, it'll be behind me. I want us to consider this. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Family, why did Jesus rise very early in the morning? Because everyone else was asleep. While it was still dark, it was still late, late into the evening or early into the morning. He got away for uninterrupted time. He departed and went out to a desolate place so it wouldn't be interrupted. And the scriptures say, state, and there he what? He prayed. Mark chapter 6, verse 46, after he had taken leave of them, he literally pulled away from the disciples and all of the people. He went up on a mountain to do what? To pray. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6, 12, in these days he went out to a mountain to pray. All night he continued in prayer to God. Matthew 14, 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Then Jesus, Matthew 26, went with, his, to, to them, uh, with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And going a little farther, he fell on his face, and he prayed. Jesus was always getting away so that he could pray. And here's something that's interesting. Prayer to Jesus was not an activity. Like, we always think about it like this, oh, I need to pray more, like it's an activity. No, to Jesus, prayer was, it was in the rhythm of his life. It was like breath. He breathed prayer. He was constantly praying. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 where God takes the dust of the ground, the dirt, and he formed it into man and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that is when man first breathed. It is by no mistake that the Holy Spirit is called breath or wind, pneuma, spirit, breath. We breathe. Prayer is like the rhythm of breathing. Jesus was constantly praying in communion with the Father. To say that prayer is an activity is an injustice to what prayer actually is. Jesus prayed. He prayed every single day throughout the day and constantly, just as much as he breathed. When the pressures began to increase, he prayed. When he was setting out to make major life decisions, he prayed. While he was seeking wisdom and guidance from his father, when in sorrow and great anxiety, he prayed. Jesus was constantly praying. It sustained him and centered him and empowered him, and his prayer life did not go unnoticed. As we saw last week, Luke 11, verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I want to take us back to the beginning of this series where we began in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus is inviting us, come. All who are under labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are weary and exhausted, and I will give you what? Rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and Learn from me. So when the disciple asks, Lord, teach me, Jesus says, come to me and I'll teach you. Learn from me. Jesus has so much to teach us. And it's not just about prayer. It's about every aspect of our spiritual life. He has so much to teach us of study. What does it mean to study the scriptures? What does it mean to meditate? Or to sit still and quiet in silence. 
What does it mean to fast? What does it mean to celebrate and worship? There's so much of the spiritual life that Jesus wants to teach us, but we have to get away. We have to sit. We have to learn from him. So this morning he teaches us more of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to expound this discussion of prayer. In verse 5, he says, prayer first is not for religious show. And and really, this is all spiritual aspects of life. It's not for religious show. This is going to sting a little bit. Matthew 6 verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the who? The hypocrites. That's a fancy word, isn't it? We hear that often. Ah, Christians are just a bunch of what? Yeah, that's, that's a kind word, isn't it? For they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. What Jesus is saying is there are people who like to wear their religion like they wear robes. And they love to practice their religion for others to see. Later in the scriptures, in Mark chapter 12, verse 38, Jesus expands this to say, hey, beware of these people. Beware of these religious actors. He calls them scribes, but this could be fitting of any person who practices their religion for others to see, who walk around in long robes and like the greetings in marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honors at feasts. And on the outward, they're so holy, but really inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. They devour widows' homes and for pretense, for show, they make long, eloquent, ear-tickling prayers. And Jesus says they will receive the greater condemnation. This is hard because so much of our Christian life today is packaged for others to see. We are pressured to pretend to have more of our spiritual life together than we actually do. And we think, somehow believe, that God prefers the caricature of our life, the fancy and the shiny, as opposed to the real. Please hear this. God prefers the broken mess of your life over the fake. He prefers... The truth, as opposed to this masked-up approach, we're being constantly told we need to take. And you know what? When we pretend that we have more of our spiritual life together, we are actually farther from the Father's heart. I'm going to take you briefly to a passage found in Luke 18. You'll want to highlight this. This has rocked my soul this week. Because there were two men who went up to the temple to pray could not be farther apart in their approach to God and to the life around them. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. A way of saying this is one was socially accepted and esteemed. The other was rejected. One was considered godly. One was a wretch. Let's see how God interprets these two men. Listen to their heart. The Pharisee standing by himself, he prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. He's literally pointing at the tax collector. I thank you, God, that I'm not like that man. And then he speaks of his religious resume. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is literally his prayer. He's like, God, here's my religious resume. I fast, I tithe. I don't know what else you could add to that. I recycle. I mean, we're presenting this religious resume, and we think that somehow God's more impressed with the religious resume. And then listen to the heart and the prayer of the tax collector. 
But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, not even worthy to look up. Beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Family, prayer is a place of being humbled. That is why we bend our knee. It is not for others to see. It is not for religious show. Prayer is also to be thoughtful. Matthew 6, verse 7, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Family, to heap up empty phrases, it means to pray without thinking. <laughs> and I'm like, I do that so often. You ever do that? You pray and you say a bunch of words and then you're done? Think about that just in a normal relationship. What if you had a friend that always walked up to you and just repeated the same phrases over and over and over again and then walked away? How intimate would that relationship be? That'd be a little weird. And it is weird. God's not going to hear us just because we say a bunch of empty phrases. We have to engage our minds. He says, but no, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. That is, go to this desolate place, get away from all of the distractions. And when you pray, you pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will, he'll do what? He'll reward you. There are so many blessings and so many gifts that God wants to pour out on us, but we're so busy we can't get away to even receive them. And Jesus says in verse 8, he's like, don't be like them. Don't be like the religious imposter, the hypocrite, the, the actor. He says, don't be like the person who just repeats the same phrases over and over and over again thoughtlessly. He says, no, pray in this awareness that your father knows what you need before you ask him. Think about that. I know some of you pretty well. I don't know every one of your needs. Truth be told, I don't even know every one of my needs. Such omniscience is too wonderful for us to even grasp. The fact that God, in his all-knowingness, knows every single one of, every single need of every single person on earth right now. And we're asking ourselves, why would God interest himself in the minutia? Of our, of our needs, the weeds of our daily needs. Why would God do that? Because the Father in heaven cares for you and me, his creation. And even more specifically, his chosen children, we are the sheep of his pasture. Bah. Think of that. He says, I am your shepherd, you are my sheep. Inherent in that relationship is provision and protection. We are the people of his grace. And so Jesus says, when you approach your father in heaven, pray like this. He's like, he's inviting us into a place. He says, prayer is a place. It is a sacred space. When you pray, pray like this. And so we'll talk through five different aspects of prayer. Prayer is this place where we first approach our heavenly father. That is why we pray. Our father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Think of the focus of prayer here. Who is the focus, family? Who is the focus of prayer? Our Father in heaven. But what's so strange is so much of our prayer is focused on ourself. 
I don't know if you've ever had a friend or a person in your life, every time you get together, all they do is talk about themselves. You're like, yeah, I know that guy. But when we approach God with only our needs and we approach him with just what we want and we, we're looking at ourselves, that's a one-sided relationship. And the Father's going, you need to focus on something greater than yourself. Because God knows that when our focus is on us and our earthly world, we're filled with all kinds of worries and struggles and fears and anxieties and, and things that are threatening to swallow us. Some of you have brought those in today. And God says, no, elevate your eyes to me. Focus every fiber of your being on the Father. That's why he says, come away to a rock that is higher than yourself. We have such an opportunity, I don't think we realize it, how blessed we are today. I mean, think about the times ancient past. Think of Mount Sinai. When the children of Israel approached God, it was Moses who went up on the mountain as it was consumed with smoke and fire. He went up to hear from God, to bring down a message from God. And some of us approach our, our relationship with God the same way. We're like, hey, can you go for me? Can you go up on the mountain? Because we're, we're, we're frightened of the soul-startling silence of prayer. Maybe you can take the request up for me. People sometimes will look at me and be like, Chris, you're, you're the one who brings back a message from God. And I'm like, oh, something's wrong. I'm not your mediator. There is one mediator between God and man. Who is that? Jesus. That is why in the book of Hebrews we are told... Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us then, let us those of the household of faith with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We are being invited individually and collectively to approach the throne that we may receive what? Mercy and grace lavished and help in our time of need. And I can't think of a, uh, of a greater time. We are in need. We are a needy people. Prayer is that place where we approach our Heavenly Father. It is also where we get a kingdom mindset. Our, our paradigm is so askewed. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Family, there's a battle of kingdoms. And there is a battle of the will. So much time in prayer is spent attempting to move heaven to reflect our will, to have the kingdom of God be formed and, and fashioned in our kingdom mindset. And God says, no, I will not submit my kingdom to the frailty of the kingdom of this earth. We bend our knee, our will, and I'll tell you right now, a heart that seeks to honor the Father above all is a life that reflects the Son. You want to reflect the Son? Honor the Father above all. Because Jesus himself, when he came, he came not to do his own will. John 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's why we have to get away. Dallas Willard, he writes these words so poignantly. The normal course of day-to-day -day human interactions locks us into the patterns of feeling, thought, and action that are geared in a world or to a world set against God. We are so pliable. More pliable than we realize. 
We are like clay. Family, it is either the Father who is our potter, who shapes and molds us, or it is this culture. That is why we are taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We focus every fiber of our being on the Father. We focus every fiber of our being on his kingdom and his will. And then we seek our daily needs. It is amazing how our daily needs change when every fiber of our being is focused on our Father and every fiber of our being is focused on his kingdom and his will. Our needs are so different. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We've already been told that the Father knows everything we need before we even ask. And I'm just out of curiosity, what is daily bread? What does that mean? What, what does it mean? Daily needs? What else? Give me some examples, practical. Shelter? What else? What's that? Air. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty basic. Yeah, without air, about three minutes from now, we're all dead. So yeah, that's pretty accurate. Food, clothing, life, provision. You know what's fascinating? We live in a culture that is constantly seeking more. The anthem of more, how much more? More when we have so much. This prayer is releasing us from more because when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's also releasing us to provide the daily bread for other people. Did you know that God has designed this earth in such a way that it, it can provide for every single person on earth right now? There is enough food on planet earth to provide for the hunger of every person on planet earth. And he has created it in such a way it can withstand far, more, far greater increase in population. Why are there hungry people on earth? Because we as humanity hoard it. We store it. We keep it for ourselves. All the while the Father is saying, when you pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're also being willing to say, Father, let me be willing to give daily bread to others who don't have. It is freedom. It is sanity. Prayer is a place where we daily seek our needs and we lay down that constant desire for more and a willingness to give to others. And then Jesus turns our attention towards our sin. Oh, this will be fun. Jesus then teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I quote here from Thomas Merton. He writes this, this wonderful book, No Man is an Island. He writes these words, One of the most important functions of the life of prayer is to deepen and strengthen and develop our moral conscience. We live in a time where our moral conscience is literally seared by sin. The most grotesque aspects of humanity are constantly being paraded in front of us to the point now we don't even know how to blush anymore. There was a time when God's people would not even look on evil. And yet today, we no longer even know the difference between right and wrong, truth and lie. The prophets of old were plagued by sin, not only in their life, but in their culture 
And when they came into the presence of God, they were threatened to completely come, become undone. I want you to briefly look at Isaiah 6, because Isaiah is approaching the throne as we are approaching the Father in prayer. And in Hebrews, it says, approach the throne. This is what the throne looks like. We're given a glimpse in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, what year was that? It was a long time ago. It's a pretty accurate description. It was a while ago. It's during a pivotal time in Israel's history. At this moment, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face to not look on the holiness of God, with two he covered his feet. There's actually a more accurate description, but... I'll leave it for you to discover that. And with two, he flew. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Hallowed. Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Listen to the response, the reaction of the worshiper. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Family, prayer is the place where we are rudely confronted with God's holiness and our own sin. We've already been told to approach in confidence. But it is a willingness to recognize that we are not right with him. It is a place where we seek restoration, we seek sanity, and we leave prayer forgiven, lighter, less burdened, and forgiven. But I'm going to tell you right now, forgiveness comes at a cost. And some of us may not be willing to pay it. In verse 12, again, Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14, as if to expound it a little further. Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If we are seeking forgiveness for our sin and expecting to receive mercy and grace, the Lord says in exchange, you must be willing to forgive the other person, whoever that is. Please listen to this. It is a wicked injustice to seek forgiveness from God while at the same time harboring unforgiveness towards any person on earth for any reason. It is a massive and glaring spiritual sickness, and it infects us. And maybe this is one of the reasons why we don't pray, because we know to pray and seek forgiveness is to also forgive another. This spiritual sickness infects our church. I have watched it tear apart our body multiple times. I have watched resentment come in like a toxin and spread through gossip and devour households. There are times where I will look up and people are just gone. Where did they go? And I ran into a, a woman last night at a function, an event, and she came up to me and she said, Chris, I, I just want you to know that I left. I was like, I know. I looked up one day and you were gone. 
She said, I said all kinds of unkind things about you. I got caught up in the, the gossip. I'm so sorry. And I told her, I said, I, I had no idea what she, she had been saying or I didn't hear all that stuff, but I was like, you're forgiven. You were loved. And I could see she left lighter. Family, I believe we have some business to take care of. We are so prone to just leave a church. If you have left a church and you have not talked to the pastor who shepherded you, if you've not talked to the person that you've had resentment with, go seek them out. Stop leaving churches. Stop it. There is no perfect church. Stop it. Stay committed to a body of believers. No, the preaching's not going to be perfect every single week. No, there isn't Perrier coming out of our water fountains. Yeah, sometimes we're going to change the color of the carpet, and we might not have the right stir sticks for your coffee. Stop it! Stop trashing pastors. Stop it. I mean it. And I'm not being mean to you. I'm being, I'm, well, I'm being mean to the church. Well, why am I saying this? Because it's true. And it reflects a lack of prayer. Stop trashing your fellow believer. Stop it. Really, when you trash somebody else, it's a reflection of the toxin in your own heart. And the Lord says, forgive. Oh, and there's freedom and forgiveness. And then he says, just to circle all the way back around, he says, and pray in view of your frailty. Did you know we actually have to pray to God to protect us from ourselves? Isn't that crazy how frail we are? He says, and you finally get to this place, lead us not into temptation. Literally praying against our own heart. But deliver us from evil. We like to think ourselves strong, but we are genetically predisposed to rebellion. And we're surrounded by daily perils and pressures. And so we get away and we separate and we listen and we hear and we speak and we forgive and we release. We're forgiven. We're released. We pray for clarity and we step out into the world and we approach our day ready to radiate the glory of Christ, our Father in heaven. Prayer is that place where we daily approach our Father. It is where we get a kingdom mindset. It is where we daily request our needs and seek forgiveness. It is where we daily seek protection. It's a place where you're humbled. And I want to ask you for forgiveness as a pastor. Because I've said unkind things about you. And I'm sorry. At times I've asked you to give me things you weren't designed to. It is not your job to give me significance or purpose or value or worth. Those are from Christ. And I ask you for forgiveness for the unkind things I've said about you. Can we forgive one another? 
Can we walk out of here in that spirit of forgiveness and go forgive others? Can we ask for forgiveness for the things that we've done against others? Are we okay with that? I think we just got a little holier. <laughs> so a few applications. Disconnect from distractions. We were not made for this world. <laughs> we're so busy. We've been made for uninterrupted, unhindered, and unhurried time with God. That is what is expressed in the scriptures when Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. You can't do that with a cell phone in your hand. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to talk about cell phones so much. But it's hard. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Loving God with all that we are. In a world that doesn't have time for it. Loving others with all that we are. In a world that doesn't have time for it. That's going to make us weird. But at the same time, we're going to radiate Christ and other people are going to go, I want what they have. They're going to see relationships being restored around us and they're going to go, well, how, how did that happen? You're going to go, the power of prayer. Turn it off, set it down, and find a desolate place. And then finally, and this is the, the final application, is pray. Set aside time for a place, in a, a place for daily prayer where we turn every fiber of our being towards our Father, where we focus, uh, our focus is shifted from our will and the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And it's where we bring our daily needs and our willingness to just give to somebody else. There's a couple of announcements today. The first one is we're going to connect with King's Closet. I can't even remember where they're at now. We're going to go down and we're going to bless people in, in Dallas with clothing. Check this out. There are people right now who don't have socks. There are times where I'm like frantically digging through the laundry. I'm like, where are all the socks? I have probably 400 pairs of socks. Because every time I can't find a sock that matches, because our kids apparently eat socks, I've gone out and I've bought a whole new package of socks. I don't know how many times I've done that. So I have a lot of socks. Isn't that crazy? And I'm still asking, Father, give me this day my daily bread. All the while the Lord's like, hey, give some of those socks away. You got a pantry full of food. There's people who are hungry. Feed them. It is where we bring our daily needs. It's where we stop hoarding and we start giving. It is is sanity. It is also a place where we seek forgiveness and we let down that idol of, of resentment towards somebody else and we, we go seek re- reconciliation and we, we seek uh, comfort in our sorrow and our loss and we intercede for others and we come in our anxiety and our prayers and our thanksgiving. To Martin Luther, he writes this, and we'll close here. To the Christian, or to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It is our lifeblood. So maybe breathe deep of prayer this week. Untold blessings are found there, but we must first be willing to go and pray. And so let's do just that. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we turn every fiber of our being towards you. You are holy, high and lifted up the angelic host proclaiming what we so often forget, holy, holy, holy are you. Your kingdom is on the horizon. It is about to dawn. 
May our eyes be turned from the darkness of this kingdom and our will to the brilliant light of your will in your kingdom. May it illuminate our minds and guide our steps. I pray that we are set free from the bondage of more. That as we seek our daily needs, we are more prone to give of those who are hungry, those who need clothing. I pray during this season of marketing to buy more and more and more, Father, our eyes would be affixed on you and realize that our children don't need more stuff. They need more love and grace and mercy from their parents. Our spouses and our friends don't need more stuff. They need more love and time, uninterrupted, unhindered. The greatest gift we can give is of ourselves, as you gave of yourself, Jesus. We ask for forgiveness for our sins. I'm sorry, Father, for the unkind things I've spoken of your church. I'm sorry for the unkind things I've spoken of other shepherds and other ministries. Sorry for the unkind things I've spoken and thought of other people, other Christians. I ask for forgiveness. Please protect us from our frailty. Lead us away from the things that tempt us. Return us to sanity. We love you, Lord Jesus. You name me pray. Amen. Well, you've already heard the announcements. <laughs> we're, we're collecting fuzzy socks and blankets because people are cold. Uh, jingle mingle, any ladies in the house? All right, hey ladies, you guys are going to have a great time together.